seeking the Lord's blessing, let's turn back again to Psalm 29. Psalm 29, and we're going to read again verse 2, but we'll be referring to various aspects of the psalm itself. But Psalm 29 and verse 2. <coughs> Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Those of you familiar with the older translation will remember that this is uh, translated the beauty of holiness, which is itself a rather poetic translation of these words, the splendor or beauty of holiness. As we read through this psalm together, as we study it, there are many aspects of it that are very familiar, and beginning, of course, with the title, the reference to the authorship of David. And the themes themselves are familiar themes that we find throughout the Bible, and the main theme, the main theme of worship, is one that relates to many, and in fact all, of the Psalms. And so this is a psalm that is itself encouraging us as we come to worship God, Encouraging us as we seek to lift our voice in praise to the Lord. But what makes this psalm itself unique, its unique factor, is how it describes God. How David here describes God. And um, I suppose we're referring to it very much in terms of verse 2. Where we have, we're called to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and these words and how God is spoken of throughout the psalm the voice of the Lord is over the waters the God of glory thunders and then in verse 4 the voice of the Lord is powerful and so on and here the psalmist is trying to ensure that we have our focus firmly upon the worship of God in the splendor and beauty of holiness And so the psalm here is supposed to educate us and make us ready as we come towards God. And we're all conscious that we come here, in some sense, never fully having prepared ourselves in the way that we ought to have. That there is some inadequacy in terms of our own spiritual preparation. And yet we come in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet when we come and we sing psalms like this and when we come to study them, they're educating and teaching us of how we ought to approach God, how we ought to approach worship. And we come to reflect on God in who he is. And the psalm here reminds us of the awesome and holiness of who God is. Isaiah speaks of the same thing in Isaiah 6 when he encountered God and he says that he saw him high and lifted up. That this was an experience that was beyond anything else because God is beyond anything else, unable to be compared with anything. And so the psalmist here is reminding us who God is. When we come to worship him, we ought to think about who he is. And when we see that great picture that Isaiah saw in chapter 6, and we see the angelic song, Holy, Holy, 
holy. And the nearer we come to God, the more we follow that example, the more we're encountering His holiness, and the more that we have the sense of awe, and that all that we can do in response is to praise Him and to worship Him. And I hope that we can come today and take the opportunity to reflect again on who God is, to be stirred up in our heart, to be encouraged in our worship and our praise, to glorify and enjoy God, because this is our very identity. This is the purpose to which we have been created. This is who we ought to be as we reflect on who He is, that this is our chief end to glorify and enjoy him as we seek to draw close to him and as we seek to be informed by of who he is our experiences of God is what truly changes us what, ma- what makes things different shapes the kind of people that we become and shapes our very worship Self, as we come to God and experience Him. You see this throughout the biblical narrative. You see it with Jacob as he encounters God. After that meeting, things are never the same again. You see it too with Moses as he's there taking the, shoe, the sandals from off his feet, as he encounters God in the fire. Things are never the same again. He is never the same again. We see it uh, throughout the Bible. We see it in Isaiah 2. As he sees in chapter 6. And receives his calling. And the powerful transforming effect. Of experiencing God. We see it with the disciples too. That it's said of them in Acts. uh, that, That they were ordinary men. But that people knew that they had been with Jesus. Something was different. They were different because they experienced God. They experienced what it was to come and to know him. And here is this psalm. A psalm that is part of our worship. A psalm that we sing together. A psalm that we come to. A psalm that we take on our lips. And here David is encouraging us as we do this with these words. To adore the Lord. To worship him. To joy in him. To love him. And I think that's what David is trying to take us through here. Reflecting on our appreciation and our love of God. To adore him. For who he is. And we see this here first of all. Who he is. And in the day to day life. And in the reality of living out our ordinary experience. And the mundane of day to day. Week to week. In all the complexities and tensions and difficulties. It is easy for us to lose focus. And when we feel things moving in a very negative way in our society and in our country, it's easy to become discouraged. But the call of faith is to see what is unseen, to be like the children of Israel at the side of the Red Sea, 
And it looks like there's nowhere to go. It looks like there is defeat here, there's Pharaoh and his army marching aggressively against them. And there is nowhere to go, there is just sea. And the call of Moses is to put his feet into that water. To see what is unseen. To believe and trust. The call of Abraham is the same. To leave his father's house, all the security, everything he knew. And to journey and to be a pilgrim. And to look for something better. And this is the call of faith. That in the midst of all the struggles that we face. That we don't lose sight of the reality of who God is. Of who God is. We need this in our faith. We need to consider time and again the reality of who he is. To reflect on this. We're so easily distracted We're often too busy, we're too taken up, we're too tired, we're too tried, we're too discouraged. There are too many fears and anxieties, there are too many things going on. And yet here David calls us to pause and to reflect and to wonder again in the great wonder of the picture of the glory of who God is. To restore to ourselves that great picture and the reality of a sovereign, holy God. And so, when we come to this psalm, we're called also to find this renewed appreciation, even in the darkness, even in the difficulties of life, that we keep on going in faith, believing and trusting. (coughs) Verses 1 and 2, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe the Lord the glory to his name. In verse 4, the Lord, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. The picture here begins with the majesty of who God is. Sovereign. Here is David in verse in the title at Psalm of David. Here is the king of Israel. He knows his dominion. He knows his borders. He knows where he is the sovereign king, where his word is law. But he knows it doesn't go beyond the border. But yet when he looks upon God, he knows that God's sovereignty is universal, that it goes to the all the peoples, all the lands, over all the seas, that there is nothing that is outside his dominion. God is majestic everywhere and with everyone. Everyone is under the sovereignty of God. Everyone must come and give their account before God, the majesty who is enthroned on high. All people and all places belong to him. The God of creation is the God of judgment. The God to whom we are accountable to. And so David recognizes here a different kind of monarchy. Not the kind of monarchy he has. God has promised him that he's going to bless his son as a monarch after him. But when David comes to reflect on the kind of monarch that God is, he realizes that he's encountering an eternal 
nature, uh, an eternal monarch. That's the kind of monarchy he has. He is over everything. In verse 1, ascribe the Lord, O heavenly beings, not only things seen, but even the spiritual world is under his rule and dominion. Even the heavenly courts, God rules, God reigns. He is sovereign over everything. There is nothing that is outside his sovereignty and majesty. And in verse 3, this is the uniqueness of the psalm, the way that he speaks of God. He says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. David says, as he looks upon this God, this is a thundering God. A thundering God, thundering throughout the whole world, through his whole province. A picture of his awesomeness, of his strength and his power and his might, going through his whole dominion, thundering. For the children of Israel, this reminds them of Sinai. And the cloud was over that mountain. And the glory of God was in the cloud. And his voice thundered from that mountain. And it was a reminder of the people of God that they have to approach God with awe. In the majesty of who he is. That Israel had to come with their hearts prepared to meet with this awesome and holy and powerful majesty. It reminds us too of the creation God said, let there be light. God thundered his voice into the great darkness. And the illumination came. Divine speech so powerfully creating something. Thundering. Bringing forth light. And we know that this continues throughout scripture. And in the end in Revelation... The picture of God that we have there as the great judge is the one who thunders from heaven. His voice comes in power. And all of these things remind us of the unmistakable presence of God. Thundering. A thundering God. Verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The picture of David then includes that this God is a powerful God. His very voice has power. We know this as we've already spoken of in terms of creation. He's created everything through the power of his own word from nothing. But we know it too in the narrative not only of scripture but in the narrative of our lives. How the voice of the Lord is powerful. It stopped us. It changed us. It's still transforming us. It's renewing us in our minds. It's changing everything. How we comprehend and understand the world and life and suffering and pain. His voice is powerful. It's going through the whole world, changing things, changing people, turning the world upside down. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. He says, this is an awesome God. 
an awesome God. The picture of fire is a picture of who God is. The consuming fire. The fire in the bush that's, that spoke to Moses. The experience here communicated of an awesome God who calls us to worship, to come, and to leave this deep sense within you that as you encounter him, you are in awe. You wonder at who he is and his being. You wonder at his glory. And what David is calling us here to is to adore him. To pour our hearts in love. To truly worship him. The whole world ought to give him the glory. But so many are under the dominion of darkness, under the dominion of the devil. They can't see, they don't know. And yet the people of faith need to demonstrate and understand and live for this God with his holiness as the motivating factor of life and worship and everything we are as we render our thanks and praise to him. And we adore him too in the holy place. Verse 1. Ascribe the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It speaks here, uh, first of all, in verse 1 of the heavenly beings. The translation uh, may be something like sons of God. Uh, and many wonder at what this actually means. Uh, some people say it speaks of the powerful people in the world. As some of the other Psalms refers in similar language. Others say that this is the angelic court. Spurgeon says it's the great ones of heaven and earth. And that's really what I like myself because I, we understand everything here. Everyone has been encouraged to lift their voices. Everyone has been encouraged to be stirred up to praise God, to glorify and enjoy Him in a very particular way. His own people are mentioned in verse 11. May the Lord bless His people. And we're called to worship Him in the splendor of holiness, in the beauty of holiness. In one sense, if we were to render the heavenly beings as the angelic court, then we can see this as heaven. We could see the redeemed of God who have gone home, worshipping the Lord with the angelic chorus, praising his name forever and ever. We wonder at that great paradise. We wonder what it will be like in comparison to Isaiah 6 and what, what Isaiah saw there in the great wonderful picture. And yet, too, we come to realise that our worship is united with the worship in heaven. And when we come to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, surely what David is encouraging us to do is to gather together, is to be found in God's house, is to be found 
in the particular place of public worship. Now, don't get me wrong, private worship is a wonderful thing. As you go through your own private devotions and your own spiritual disciplines, it's a wonderful thing to have there your worship with God as you pray and as you read his word and as you spend time with the Lord. These are seasons of great blessing for us as God's people. But there is a unique blessing in the gathering of God's people that is incomparable. And we come to receive this blessing. We gather together in this way. We're set apart from all the weekly tensions to come here to taste and see that God is good. To have that great benefit deep in our heart and soul to come to the place where his beauty is appreciated where we gather with his people his bride the subject of his particular love and our praise unites us together and unites us with the redeemed people of God we worship in the splendor and the beauty of holiness We worship as we gather together the called out people of God to be the church, to be the family, to be God's people, to be Christ's bride, to live out our faith, to demonstrate our devotion to our Saviour, to do it together because it's special, unique and incomparable unparalleled and so we adore God and who he is in his holy place and David says that we're to adore him in the storms too from verse 3 on to the end of verse 9 there is this language of storm and so David here is saying God is in the storms God is in real storms and David speaks from the position of around him a denial of Jehovah a denial of the one true God all around him in these nations and in these people groups is the worship of Baal, Baal was the storm God and so people rendered some sacrifice to Baal in order that they would have some rain and that they would have crops and that the land would be fertile and that they would, be eat, they would eat and be wealthy It was an anti-Jehovah worldview. It denied the God of the Bible. It spoke of God not being the God of nature. And so David counters this. He affirms who God is. And he is saying God is sovereign in every aspect of life. In every corner of who we are and what we do. God is there. Even nature is speaking of God. And then faith affirms that reality. When we see the sun and the rain, we say God is in these things. God is in the midst of them. And we stand too in the midst of a society that is rejecting God. And ascribing the power of God to other things. And we must meet it with faith. And with the affirmation that we believe that God is in all these things. God is in the storm. 
God is in the rain and in the sun and in all of creation to the ends of the world. To everything in the heavens. God is there. That we do not deny his majesty but we affirm it. God is in the flood in verse 10. This is the language that we relate to Noah. And that experience with Noah is the experience of God coming in judgment. In that power. And the whole world quakes at God's coming. Quakes that he is going to come. And at that moment that the Lord comes again. In that great thundering experience. In that great judgment. There will be no unbelief. Everyone will believe. Everyone will bow. Everyone will confess. Today the devils tremble. But they believe. And man is filled with unbelief. But on that day everyone will believe. But maybe here David writes this in a storm. You remember of course Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 uh, speaks of the natural revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. And there is this wonderful picture of the beauty of creation. And you could imagine there the psalmist under a beautiful day. Writing these words and affirming the reality of God speaking to us in these things. But yet maybe too. There is a testimony in the storm. There is maybe even there a rugged beauty speaking to us of the wonder of God's creative work. Where, where I live in Cross you can see the butt and there you see the storm. You see the waves crashing in and testifying and speaking to us. And it humbles us. It's said that one of the great emperors of the Roman Empire. That when there was thunder. He hid. The most powerful man in the whole world. Was hiding. Because of the storm. It struck fear into him. And in the day of David. A storm was devastating. And it leaves you with awe. When you see these clouds moving. And when you see the wind up and the storm coming and yet it is still a testimony of God's creative act that God has done these things that even the storm displays his glory every clasp of thunder calls you to worship him to praise him every wind everything is calling you calling you not to fear man but to fear God. And the believer sees the storm. And is reminded. That God is with us. And so maybe the storm wasn't natural. That David wrote in the context of. Maybe it was a metaphorical storm. Maybe there was something inward. Maybe there was a storm. And a tension in his own experience. Maybe there was a personal conflict. And the believer knows that there are many storms in life. 
many difficulties. But when the disciples were on the board and the storm picked up, Jesus walked over the waves and he said it is I. Whatever you go through, he is with you. He stills the storm in your heart and he'll still the storm in the experience that you are going through. You come and reflect on who this God is for he will protect you. He has a purpose even in the storm and God is more powerful than any storm, than any difficulty or any experience you will have and I just want to conclude by saying that we ought to adore God in this peace as well verse 11 may the Lord bless his people with peace whatever turmoil or trauma you go through God gives his people peace a peace no one can take away and no such storm can eat away either. The Lord is with you. He will give you grace for every situation. He will be with you. And everything will be okay. If the Lord is with you, He will give you strength when you are weak. And He will give you peace in the storm. And how we respond is exactly what David is calling us to here. He calls us to praise God, to worship him in the splendor of holiness. Let's pray together. God our Father in heaven, we give thanks to you for your word and for all that it means to us. We pray that you would help us to live it out in our lives and to be encouraged by the wonder of who you are and your being. Bless us, we pray, and forgive us our sins. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing then these words in Psalm 29 on page 238. sing verses 1 to 4 Psalm 29 verses 1 to 4 on page 238 give ye unto the Lord ye sons that of the mighty be all strength and glory to the Lord with cheerfulness give ye and so on to the end of the verse marked 4 
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 